book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue our discussion about raising children to be gatekeepers and look at some of the things that we must cultivate in our children to have them be effective in our cancel culture society. We pray for wisdom, wisdom in rearing our children, wisdom in teaching this class, and wisdom in being examples ourselves for our teenagers, our children, our grandchildren. Lord, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. And use us. Use us for good. And use our children for good to be gatekeepers in a way that brings thee glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so last time we, uh, we looked at what gatekeeping means and uh, the biblical, some biblical examples of great gatekeepers like Daniel and um, um, Esther and Obadiah. And then we started looking at what we must cultivate. We looked at the importance of virtues such as truth and goodness and, and, and beauty. Um, as number one on the outlines, I, I, I don't think I have enough outlines out there. Some of them got thrown away last week. I'm sorry about that. But um, I'll, I'll give you the points real clearly so you can write them down. They're not long. Um, I said something about truth and, and goodness, but I had to, had to cut it short when it came to talk about, about beauty. So when you, raise, when you raise children to be gatekeepers, it's not just a defensive gatekeeping uh, against evil, but it's also a positive, gospel-centered raising of children so that they think of God as beautiful, uh, as, as merciful, as full of gospel. So you want to raise children in, in this area of what I'm calling beauty, in four ways. You want, to, you want to raise them seeing beauty in God, God Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You want them to see beauty in the basics of the gospel, the basics of the gospel, uh, the bloody atonement of Christ, the way of salvation being worked by the Holy Spirit, so that the whole triune economy of salvation becomes uh, beautiful to them. And you want them to see beauty in the Word, in the, in the Bible. You want your children to be Bible lovers, uh, grounded in the Scriptures, and see the Word of God as just a, a beautiful, beautiful guide for life. Uh, and then fourth, you want them to see as a reflection of all of that, the beauty of God in nature. Like... The color tour we had this morning on the way to church. Uh, it's just amazing, wasn't it? We came around the corner. Um, 
just as we turned up here a few blocks back, and there was, there was a, a tree that was still completely green, but there was a tree behind it that had deep red uh, leaves, and a tree, a tree that was sort of off to one side that was underneath the green that was bright yellow. So it was like bright burgundy red with bright green and bright yellow, and, it, and the sun was shining right on it. We just like, oh, God is so beautiful. God, wait a minute, I'm talking about trees. No, no, I'm talking about God, you see. Because you, you, you train your mind to see the beauty of God in, in, in the beauty of nature. So, David put it so well when he said in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing have I desired, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, and behold the beauty of God. The beauty of God. The beauty of God. Sometimes very, very conservative churches can miss that. Just like liberal churches can. It's not just the progressives that miss it. I had the privilege once of preaching in the Netherlands, and of course I was translated from Dutch into English. And... uh, my sermon was on the beauty of God. And afterwards, there was a minister um, from our former denomination who was in the audience. And he, he came into the consistory room and he shook my hand and he said, thank you so much for preaching on the beauty of God. It's not preached on very much, is it? That really struck me. We should be preaching much more on the beauty of God. Anyway, so that's what we want to cultivate in our, in our children. The importance of virtues such as truth, goodness, and beauty. Secondly, we want to cultivate them in the truth that only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now, we want our children, of course, to be successful in whatever vocation they enter. And narrowly speaking, that's a good principle to set our children's mind on when encouraging them to engage in the public arena, be it of politics or economics or journalism or business. Um, Many who are associated in these professions, however, are merely attempting to promote their own agendas or their own money-making skills or whatever it may be. Principles that ultimately are selfish. But say you're a Christian businessman. You want to cultivate in your children the attitude that they don't want to be a Christian businessman, but they want to be a Christian businessman. (laughs) You get the emphasis. You see... My son's a businessman. I want, I want people to see in him that he's a, a Christian boss and he, he runs by Christian principles and his dealings are upright and, and there's something about him. I want people to see that there's something about him that is contagious, that he's, he's winsome in his personality, but he's, uh, he's standing for truth and, and beauty and God's word and he's principled and he won't be shady on business deals. And it's not all about, can I make a little more money? 
I want his employees to look up to him and see in him a Christian businessman. You see, but that's not just something you want for your kids. That's something that you need to cultivate in them from the very beginning. This is the most important thing. That people can see our works as a reflection of the gospel. And those two verses I just read from Ecclesiastes, that's what they, you want people to see in your children as they go out into the secular field of labor. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. You see, when our works are done for our own ends, then we will come into judgment, as the verse goes on to say, to be destroyed because we live for ourselves. But when we really lived out of the fear of the childlike fear of God, also in our employment and influence people in society accordingly, you see, then instead of destruction, because we're saved in Christ, we, we end in salvation at the end of verse 14, at the end of Ecclesiastes. And, and, and that's because of the grace of God. So you teach these principles, you seek to model these principles, you, you reprimand your children, you, you even use disciplinary measures when they contradict these principles, but only God can give them in the inner man. But you can model them, and you can teach them. This is the most important when they go out in society. So the Christian worldview teaches something absolutely contrary to the secular worldview. It teaches that the Christian businessman, the Christian politician, the Christian economist, the Christian journalist should be different because of the message they bear. Deep down, you see, the Christian should recognize that he's existing in every sphere of his life to build up God's reputation, to make God known, Psalm 78, and to glorify God in every area of their lives, Psalm 105, verse 1. So the Christian politician should be concerned with upholding an agenda that glorifies God, even the face of uncertain votes, of popular dislike, or being labeled as a schismatic. The Christian economist, the Christian businessman, should have his sight first on the heavenly treasure, encouraging wise stewardship of material resources, teaching how to avoid the burden of debt and other economic principles derived from the Scripture, and so on. So, just like that Paul says, I think it's in, um, I think it's Colossians 3, 23 or 24, Work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. You're always working for the glory of God. That's what you want to instill in your children. So thirdly, that leads us then to the supremacy, the supremacy of the fear of God. You want that childlike fear in your children because that childlike fear drives everything, drives everything. If I, if, I, if I go out in society and deep in my soul there's this consciousness of God, this incorum deo, in the face of God reality in my life, I can't just take that off like taking off a suit coat 
and laying it to one side when I go into my secular employment. No, that consciousness of God is with me. And that needs to be instilled in children, that God sees everything. You know that, um, that little story I like to tell. I like to tell it to little kindergartners and first graders about a, a mother who gave a box of cookies to bring to grandma and said, don't eat one on the way. And they're halfway there. And the girl says to her sister, you know, I'm getting kind of hungry. And her sister says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry too. And the first girl says, do you, do you think grandma would mind if we took one cookie? And the other girl says, no, I don't think so. Grandma's pretty generous. So she sets the box down and she says um, to her sister, is anyone looking? The girl looks around. She says, no. And she reaches out for the cookie and the sister says, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, God is here. God is here. See, that, now that's kind of a negative example, but you could also twist it into a positive example in other cases, right? You want to raise children who understand God is here now, always. So that means when I grow up and I go out to college and mom and dad are no more around, I'm going to live by the principles I learned how I should live when I'm in the presence of God because I'm always in the presence of God. So you can beat your kids, you can force them into obedience, you can, you can be a cruel taskmaster, and, and you'll scare them into obedience. But as soon as you're gone, behind your back, they'll do all kinds of things. But you want to principally teach them. There's someone higher than dad and mom. You're living in Coram Deo. Fear God and keep his commands and know that for all these things you'll come into judgment. You'll be standing before God. On the day of judgment. But son, daughter, you're standing before God every day. Right now, wherever you go, God is there. I love what Robert Murray McShane said. How would your prayers change if you knew when you bowed your knees at night at your bedside, if you knew that Jesus was somehow standing right beside you? How would your prayers change? Well, McShane said they shouldn't change at all because he is standing right beside you. He's omnipresent. He's there. You see, that's the point. And you, again, you leave impressions about that. But, but God alone can bring it to the heart. Um, I, I may have told this story at one point a couple, several years ago, but there was a mother in our church. This is... I can talk about people and it's positive, right? There's a mother in our church and she's riding along on the highway with her daughter in the back seat and uh, the daughter's sucking on a sucker and the daughter suddenly says, Mommy, where is God? Oh, the mother says, uh, God is everywhere, my dear. She's sucking him for, away for a while. Uh, mommy, is God in this car? Yes, dear. She's sucking away for a while. And then she looks in her mirror and she sees her daughter start to talk. 
She takes a suck out of her mouth and she holds it up. She says, God, would you like a lick? Do you understand what was happening right there? For that girl right there, her mother gave her an impression. God is right here, right now, in this car. Outstanding. Outstanding. May that little girl have that impression all her life. Everything will come back on the judgment day. Yes, that can be scary, but it can also be wonderful if we're in Christ because He is our Savior. And if our judge is our Savior, all shall be well. And this is the way to live with God consciousness of the fear of God. Number four, you want to teach your children, you want to raise them with the conviction that work is God's gift. God's gift to humanity. True, there are thorns and thistles post-fall, so not everything is pleasant. Some things are tiresome. Some things are laborious. Some things are mundane. Some things are hard. But we must remove as far as the east is from the west, if at all possible, from our children, the conviction, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. When I was studying at Westminster, Dr. Claire Davis put on the board one day, TGIM, in great big letters when we walked in, and he wasn't there yet. And the students are discussing, what does TGIM mean? TGIM, TGIM, who put that there? He walks in, he says, I bet you're, I bet you're wondering what that means. He goes, yeah. He goes, thank God it's Monday. This is Calvinist philosophy. We love our work because we're working to the glory of God. So what do you want to be? Do you want to be a secularist who lives for the weekends is happy only two days out of seven? Or do you want to be a Calvinist who's happy seven out of seven because he gets to work for the glory of God? Oh, good point. You see, Horatius Bonar, Horatius Bonar was a little discouraged one day about his ministry so he decided to take a walk. And uh, he's walking down the road. And he sees three guys working in a dusty pit, kind of like. And they're building something for going on this church that's being remodeled. And uh, so he stops and talks to them. He says to the first guy, he says, uh, so how are, you, how are you enjoying your work? The guy says, ah, I don't like it, but I got to get bread on the table. You know, it's dusty and dirty down here. and No good. Second guy says, uh, so what, what do you think of your work? Oh, he said, it's okay. It's okay, I don't mind it. Um, yeah, I got to put bread on the table, but it's, uh, it's a job. Uh, I'm okay with working. Third guy, he's chiseling away on something. <clears throat> it was the top part of the steeple. And... Uh, he says, how do you like your work? Oh, sir, I love my work. Really? What, what makes you love it? Well, you see what I'm doing? You see what I'm doing here? What I'm doing down here is going to go up there. And that just delivered <laughs> Horatius Bonar from his uh, mild depression that morning. He said, yeah, what I'm doing down here as a pastor it's going to make changes up there. I'm, I'm building, I'm building by the grace of God. 
the church of God, to enjoy communion with God forever. Press on, O oh my soul. You see, your attitude to work is so important. And if you're a Christian and you raise Christians, children who, who are born again, who go out in the work sphere and become gatekeepers, and they are truly happy in the Lord, and they are happy with the, the freedom to work, and they enjoy their work, and they're working to the glory of God, you don't think that will rub off on other people? You don't think people will see that? You don't think people will ask the question, there's something different about that guy? You know, you go on break with him, you expect to take 25 minutes instead of 15, and he looks at his watch and says, oh, break time's up, and he jumps up, and he's eager to go back to work. He doesn't want to steal a minute from his employer, but he doesn't do that because he just has to. He does it because he loves his work. It's amazing the difference that can make in, in people's lives. Well, Paul puts it this way to Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is in you and work in His kingdom. Stir it up. Stir it up. Help children find their gifts and stir it up and talk with them. Talk with them about what future work they want to do. Talk with them when they're in second grade. I remember talking to my son when he was in second grade. Say to him, well, son, whatever God calls you to, you've got to do it with all your might. And uh, whether it's the ministry, and I'm never going to try to push you into the ministry because I'm a minister, but whatever you do, you've got to do it to the glory of God. Right? And then the Plymouth Shield came out. Uh, the yearbook of, the, at that time, Plymouth Christian School. And they were flipping through the pages and in second grade, you know, they, they put down what they want to be, every single child, right? So I, I, my heart skips a beat. Is, what's he going to put down? Is he going to put down minister? Is he going to put down something really, maybe teacher? Go down to his name, Calvin Beakey. Wild Western cowboy. <laughs> what in the world? Where did he get that from? I mean, Ridiculous. I was kind of like a uh, let down. Then I looked up and down the list. Every single boy but one in the entire class, wild western cowboy. You see, so they were convincing each other, you know, they all wanted to go out and be wild western cowboys. So, you know, you, you take that with a grain of salt. You know that's going to change, right? But, you see, already at that time, they're thinking. And you can be forming them. You can be saying... You know what, son? Whatever profession you go into, you want to go into a profession where you, as most directly as possible, can, can, can live for the glory of God. And you can make an impact on, on other people. Whether it's a mechanic working with your hands, whether it's a teacher in the classroom, or whether it is a minister. Look for those occupations where you can influence others for good. And if that's not your gift, well, look for other occupations. But always be asking, how can I glorify God in this occupation? I love, I love what Mordecai said to Esther. And this was a very personal text in my life when I accepted my very first call to Sioux Center, Iowa. 
Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Esther, God is calling you. God is calling you to be the wife of this godless king at this particular time for a particular charge. You're going to be an instrument to save the Jewish people. Amazing. You never know how God will use uh, this beautiful queen or your, your beautiful child in, in his or her position one day. But God used Esther's gifts to save the Jewish people. Sometimes we underestimate our children. Sometimes we underestimate what God can do with them. But most often we underestimate God and what He can do through through our children. You know, when you have children and you live in a family, how often isn't it true? You, you see all of each other's flaws and faults. And then you look at all these families walking to church on Sunday morning and they all seem so clean and, I don't know, just like, everybody, like boy, that mom's really got everything put together, right? Taint so. <laughs> We're all needy. We're all needy. But we all are prone to underestimate what God can do with our children. So what do you do? You do exactly what a minister does. You just keep throwing seed. You just keep throwing gospel seed on the waters. Uh, I do it on, on the whole church family. That's a great privilege. But you do it on your own little family. And on friends around you, you just keep throwing gospel seed. And you know not what shall prosper, this or that. Sometimes you have a hope something's going to prosper and nothing seems to come of it. Maybe something will come of it years later. Of a niece who was converted in her, uh, I guess, late 20s, early 30s. She abandoned the church. She abandoned everything. Lived like a worldling. She said, Uncle Joe, when God stopped me, I want you to know that everything my parents taught me, everything the church taught me, it all came rushing back into my mind. Everything. That's amazing. So you keep sowing, sowing the seed and uh, raising them, not just to be saved, but raising them also to be gatekeepers to be in positions of influence where they can do a good word or speak a good word for the Lord in society and influence others for good and be a force of good and not evil in this perishing world. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to do lesson number three. I think I preached too long this morning um, on, on gatekeeping. So I'll, uh, I'll come back to this. Next week, I believe Dr. Barrett is going to lead the class. Please do come. And then the following week, I'll be back. In fact, I'm back for all the classes of the rest of the year uh, outside of next week. So that's going to be nice for my wife and me to be home more. Let's pray. Gracious God, we bow before Thee and we thank Thee so much for the gift of children to raise them for good, for good in the church not only, 
and for good in our own families not only, but for good in society. Oh, help us to do that conscientiously. But please, please bless the seed that we cast upon them and please use it, Lord. Use it in the depths of their soul to give them that incorum deo that they so desperately need to walk with the consciousness of God every day, seeking to do Thy will, seeking to live to Thy glory, seeking to say no to sin and yes to the fear of God. So bless the few thoughts we did cover in this, uh, in this class. And two weeks from now, Lord, help us to finish this subject and then move on to others. But um, help us to, to raise our children to be gatekeepers uh, in our society. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.